Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on August 16th, 2015. Tonight I'll get a, a couple of topics out of the way and then continue really with the media and universities which produce radicals, etc., to do with their agendas and so on. And, of course, all the big organizations and the foundations, the tax-free foundations which fund them, and they're owned by the big moguls of the world, the rich moguls of the world. And uh, people can never get their heads around why are the rich moguls really trying to get produce a form of utter uh, chaos down below them in society, but it's not chaos, really. It's a matter of, it is divide and conquer. And then once you've conquered, you divide the conquerors into another section. So it's because you rule them easier when all split up and they can't get together on any particular major and very vital topic, like food supply and things like that, you see. And I've always mentioned, too, uh, I've not always mentioned, I keep forgetting to mention, that's a problem, uh, that you should really make good use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website, which is up there for free. And you can download thousands of talks I've given over the years, many years, on the system in which we're born into. How it works and what's behind it, the different motivations of those who rule it. And, of course, I also point out other sides of stories which are omitted from news media because the news is definitely a part of what you think and believe because you, you're, you're fed information or partial information that guides you to conclusion. It's a very simple process of propaganda, really. It's simply omission of the rest of the story, which we often and very probably give you a completely different conclusion as, as to what's going on on one particular or any topic at all. So make good use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com And remember too, you can order the books I've got there too uh, to read And uh, how to order them is all in on the website uh, An address to send checks or money orders Or even cash to, to, to pay for them and so on And remember too, you can also give me donations as well Through PayPal or different methods Or cash again or check and so on uh, it's all there how to do it. I always forget, uh, really, uh, to, to mention this definitely often enough. Generally, I forget altogether because I get carried away with the topics because this is not uh, what we call some uh, big corporate business. It's very, very small. It's me, and uh, it's a lot of work involved, of course, uh, trying to find what truth is in this day and age. It's probably always been that way, really. But today it's getting more and more difficult as we're trained into a new system as opposed to democratic, of course. And uh, the media, as I say, has always been a, a, a tool uh, and owned, actually, since they own it, the, the elite, the wealthy elite. It's always been a tool for indoctrination and getting often false conclusions about things, why things are happening across the world or within your own country. They're as much a censor board as anything else because they censor a lot of stuff that you'll never hear happening. It's, it's simply not there. And it's only those in the know who get a whiff of it once in a while. And others can suspect things are going on, but you can never get the validation on it. It's run in secrecy, you see. We're, we're truly are ruled in secrecy. And you're now trained into the next step post-democratic, really, where 
they don't even give so much of a pretense of informing the public on major things uh, because everything's classified as secret now for national security reasons or anti-terrorism uh, or, or it's um, Trans-Pacific Partnership, things like that, uh, and the Transatlantic Partnership and all these transies that are going all over the place. Eh? So everything's secret now and it's, it's not your place to know. Your, your place is just to accept what they tell you at the end of it all and pay the cash because it always costs you money, you see. That's the real world we live in. Uh, if you had any kind of a democracy, nothing, nothing like free trade and so on, and all the effects it's going to have down the road on all of your, your whole way of living, none of that would be secret at all. So let's chuck this term democracy out the window. Before I get into the media control and techniques used to radicalize students at the universities for the causes for that generation. It's all planned at the top above the heads of the communists. I mean, it's, it's all planned at the top above the heads of the students and often some of the teachers too, but the teachers clue into it, but they're quite happy to take their massive paychecks and indoctrinate uh, the students as they're told into their proper indoctrinations and beliefs and radicalizations. But the first topic I want to talk about is just to get out of the way really is about, uh, I mentioned it before, the Pope with his uh, Laudato C, the encyclical he put out to do with, uh, we're going to save the earth. He's in with the United Nations, world government, all that kind of stuff. And this article here, it says Carbon Week by Peter Foster, the Pope's eco-communist manifesto. That came out in June. It's apart from the religious references, Pope Francis's climate encyclical, Laudato Si, which is praise be, could have come from any branch of the United Nations, any environmental, non-governmental organization, or the World Economic Forum. This is hardly surprising since they all promote global salvationism, which is based on projections of doom to be countered by morally charged UN-centric, globally governed sustainable development and corporate social responsibility. That's the cover for, of course. The one uh, non-religious reference that receives laudations in the Earth Charter, a bogus consultative document dreamed up by Canadian eco-meister, it says here, Maurice Strong, for those who know who he is, and former Soviet supremo Mikhail Gorbachev. According to the encyclical, the Earth Charter asks us to leave behind a period of self-destruction and make a new start, but we have not as yet developed the universal awareness needed to achieve this. We might note that the universal awareness of Strong and Gorbachev has left a trail of policy disaster in its wake. The Pope appears to be blinded by a moral vision that he shares not just with Strong and Gorbachev, but with Naomi Klein, Al Gore and David Suzuki. Capitalism is evil. Destroying the earth involves oppression of the poor and a zero-sum struggle for the resources that promote war. That's the cover that they always push, and it's pushed by the, the multi-billionaires at the top. Now it says, the one non-religious reference that receives laudations is the Earth Charter, a bogus consultative document dreamed up by the Canadian eco-meister Maurice Strong, as I've mentioned already. It says, might note that the universal awareness of Strong and Gorbachev has left a trail of policy disaster in its wake. The Pope appears to be blinded by a moral vision that he shares not just with Strong and Gorbachev, but with Naomi Klein, Al Gore and David Suzuki. Capitalism is evil, 
is destroying the earth and involves oppression of the poor and a zero-sum struggle for resources that promote war. And it says the, the British Columbia carbon tax is now enshrined as a world-famous economic miracle thanks to some handy promotional papers by a few Canadian economists and a gullible media. Laudato C not only allies the church to United Nations master plans, it willows in Gaian mysticism and promotes policies that would damage the very people whom Francis claims are his priority, uh, which is the poor. Apart from a general uh, condemnation of free markets, property rights and fossil fuel growth, Francis suggests that unreliable and expensive renewable energy be forced on the wretched of the earth, albeit with the guilty rich footing the bill. Does he want to keep the poor always with us because they are his main constituency? He seems far more concerned with afflicting the comfortable than comforting the afflicted. Ultimately, it seems Francis doesn't want to save the poor from bad weather. He wants to save them from Walmart, his most bizarre target as a runaway technology driven by market madness is air conditioning. Meanwhile, unsupervised corporate social responsibility does not fare so well. If in a given region the state does not carry out its responsibilities, declares Laudato Si, some business groups can come forward in the guise of benefactors, wield real power, and consider themselves exempt from certain rules to the point of tolerating different forms of organized crime, human trafficking, the drug trade, and violence, all of which become very difficult to eradicate. Now, that's interesting too, remember, because we already have the new uh, superstars of business that, that are now part of the big uh, philanthropic organizations and, uh, uh, again, the philanthropic foundations, uh, such as Rockefeller Foundation, who the ones that fund all the political groups that are non-governmental organizations, you see. And uh, so it's interesting, he's pushing that the very system that's behind it all, always been behind this system in which we live. And it says here... Uh, that's some bad business. The encyclical demonizes wicked, heartless, and short-sighted straw men. This unnamed they are proponents of throwaway culture and compulsive consumerism, of rampant individualism, and the self-centered culture of instant gratification. They claim an unlimited right to trample his creation underfoot. They regard other living beings as mere objects subjected to arbitrary human domination. They view nature solely as a source of profit and gain. They believe that maximizing profits is enough, says here. The setting up of a green common turn ruled by positive adjectives. What is needed, declares the encyclical, is a politics which is far-sighted and capable of a new, integral and interdisciplinary approach to handling the different aspects of the crisis. See, they understand the premises that there's a crisis. That's what they give you to start with. That is a politics of panoptic wisdom and virtue that has never ever been seen anywhere in the face of the earth. This new and unprecedented political power will somehow be devoid of the career interests that pervade lesser power structures such as, say, the Vatican. 
Still, a more totalitarian global approach is necessary because silly old public opinion resists measures that restrict consumption. Well, national governments don't want to discourage foreign investment. So society through non-governmental organizations and intermediate groups must put pressure on governments to develop more rigorous regulations, procedures and controls. Non-governmental organizations must also control corporations via product boycotts. Agreeing with his laterally our best predecessor, Benedict XVI, Francis concluded that there is urgent need of a true world political authority, but doesn't it seem rather bizarre to be castigating the technocratic paradigm when that is the United Nations' guiding principle? Also condemning the cult of unlimited human power sits a little uneasily with supporting plans to control the global climate. One thing's for sure, the higher eco-morality needs teeth. Because the stakes are so high, we need institutions empowered to impose penalties for damaged or damage inflicted on the environment. Those so empowered would apparently avoid the pitfalls of earthly power because of their qualities of self-control. Yeah, the special wombs that come out of all these experts, you see. The actual shape of the brave new papal world is a bit vague. The example, a specific example of self-sufficient renewable local energy cooperatives offers thin policy gruel, although St. Naomi would approve, as does the promotion of uh, lacoverism against evil agribusinesses. The eco-fiscal crowd will be disappointed if they were looking for specific backing for their emissions control plans. The Pope rejects cap-and-trade out of hand as speculation, putting Quebec and Ontario in the sin bin. He makes no mention of carbon taxes. It may be that the eco-fasalians' plans are not draconian enough for the Pope, who wants nothing less than a roots and branch makeover of human nature into the new Vatican man. Echoing every doomster, a doorstep since the limits to growth, the encyclical declares it's crucial to promote radical change in lifestyles. Well, maybe they'll stop dressed in silk and so on at the Vatican and wear some cheap nylon stuff, uh, you know, the, all this polyester mixes and stuff. The encyclical was immediately agreed with uh, hosannas by the global bureaucrats whose kingdom it heralds. According to UN climate high priest Christiana Figueres, this uh, clarion call should guide the world towards a strong and durable universal climate agreement in Paris at the end of this year. This, this, this um, Paris, it's already a done deal, folks. I mean, they go there just to have the, go through the formalities. It's all been drafted up already by the masters of the world, uh, the very, very top of things. Uh, it's always that way, you see. And they have their, their little, you know, drinky-poos and that, and their parties and their orgies and whatever else are involved in up there at, at Paris. And, um, and sign it all on behalf of you, supposedly, because you vote for them, and supposedly that legally that gives them permission to do what they want with you. So it's all done deal, and it's ultra important to change everything from the way you live, even if you're born, because this is going to bring in population control as well. Everything is, is involved. After all, we're, we're the bad species on the planet. Humanity itself is too many of you, you see. All, well, too many of the wrong kind, and, and that's what they want to eliminate. This is coupled with the economic imperative. The moral imperative leaves no doubt that we must act on climate change now. We can always just pray God to change it, eh? Where's faith gone? This is World Bank President Jim Yong Kim, who runs an institution charged with preventing fossil fuel-powered development for the poor, claimed today's release should serve as a stark reminder to all of us 
on the intrinsic link between climate change and poverty? Or should that be the intrinsic link between climate change and the relentless search to justify and enhance bureaucratic power, both religious and secular? So I'll put that up tonight. So along with this one, too, it's a song on basically the same topic with the Pope's encyclical. And it's by... It's, it's a song, actually, with new words to it, done by the Everly Brothers originally, but they put their own, they, they call themselves the Neverly Brothers, you see. And uh, it's quite humorous, of course, to do with this. something similar as to where, where's faith gone well, this, etc., etc. Uh, but I'll put up another link as well by a Nobel physicist, a prize winner, uh, is Ivor uh, Gaver. And uh, he's a physicist who shared the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1973 with other couple of guys uh, for discoveries regarding tunneling phenomena in solids, etc. But he has come out too and says this is a religion, this whole global warming uh, facade. And uh, he talks about it on a, on a YouTube uh, video. So I'll put that up tonight as well. Now I'll get on with uh, the media and indoctrination of the public and trace it also to, into the universities where since, oh, even just before World War Two, and, and the ones that flooded in from the East as professors and to teach all the social studies, etc. That was the guise for teaching radicalized uh, techniques, uh, which they would not call communism, but although many of them were communists, actually, and it's still taught today. The radicalization of students, so they'll affect uh, their whole generation, uh, even though all of those who don't go to university, because after all, the students end up in politics and different things like that, managerial positions, and newspapers, uh, they're the next bunch to serve the high masters way above them. Now, this first article here is also to do with a dictatorship disguised as a democracy. It says, uh, you see them on the street, you watch them on TV, you might even vote for one this fall. You think they're people just like you. You're wrong, dead wrong. And it's referring to the movie as a classic, really, called They Live. It says an awful lot in allegorical form. It says, we're living in two worlds, you and I. There's a world we see or are made to see, and then there's the one we sense and occasionally catch a glimpse of the latter of which is a far cry from the propaganda-driven reality manufactured by the government and its corporate media sponsors, including the media. Indeed, what most Americans perceive as life in America, privileged, progressive and free, is a far cry from reality where economic inequality is growing, real agendas and real power are buried beneath layers of Orwellian doublespeak. Isn't that the truth, though? Everything's got an opposite meaning of what it sounds like. Wasn't the EPA that had dumped all that stuff in a, a river in, in, in the States there recently, too? I mean, this is the guys who protect you, but this make mis- they don't make mistakes. There's something else behind it, believe you me. Anyway, what's a real job is, to, is it to pollute? Or, and also, you know, kill us all off with it, because they're all for the, like the FDA is as well, they're all for the genetically modified stuff soaked in the most carcinogenic pesticides. They're all eating. Anyway, 
getting back to this topic, it says, Indeed, what most Americans perceive as life in America, privileged, progressive, and free, is a far cry from reality, where economic inequality is growing, etc. And it says, uh, it goes into Orwellian doublespeak, and corporate obfuscation and freedom, such that it is, is meted out with in small legalistic doses by militarized police armed to the teeth. All is not as it seems. This is the premise of Jordan Carpenter's film, They Live, which came out in 1988, in which two migrant workers discover that the world's population is actually being controlled and exploited by aliens working in partnership with an oligarchic elite. Now, actually, that's the history of the world, because aristocracy, the nobility, kings, queens, and so on, always imported another group to do the taxing on the public, an outside group, a foreign group, um, Guys who handled all the monies, etc., and, and these money, these guys who did all the taxations, called it tax farming, on behalf of the kings and queens and nobility, and, and all the estates and all, all the people who were serfs, who were really slaves on the estates. Um, they had to pay up uh, just to live, actually, and, and most of their food that they grew was taken from them as well, for the lords, and it was all going through the hands of the, the money boys. Anyway, that is really the history of the world. And Britain is, is famous for doing that too, but so is all the rest of the countries that had royalty and nobility. Imports an alien group who, like the elites, have nothing in common with, with the people of the country they're going to exploit and uh, have no uh, sympathy either or, or even human uh, connection with them, really. They seem as an either a difference, a subhuman species, basically, just, just like the just like their oligarchy and the kings and queens. That's a fact, folks. So this, this movie's got a lot more, if you understand it, uh, than just what they show you as a cause here. It says, All the while the populace, blissfully unaware of the real agenda at work in their lives, has been lulled into complacency, indoctrinated into compliance, bombarded with media distractions, and hypnotized by subliminal messages beamed out of television and various electronic devices, billboards, and the like. It's only when homeless drifter John Nada played to the hilt by the late Roddy Piper, discovers a pair of doctored sunglasses called Hoffman glasses that Neda sees what lies beneath the elite's fabricated reality, control and bondage. When viewed through the lens of truth, the elite who appear human until stripped of their disguises are shown to be monsters who have enslaved the citizenry in order to prey on them. Likewise, the billboards blare out hidden authoritative messages a bikini-clad woman in one ad is actually ordering viewers to marry and reproduce. So there's two. You'll see the outer symbol of what you think you see, but the subliminal behind it is telling you a different message. And it says, when viewed through Nader's Hoffman's lenses, some of the other hidden messages behind being drummed into the people's subconscious include no independent thought, conform, submit, stay asleep, buy, watch TV, no imagination, and do not question authority. This indoctrination campaign, engineered by the elite to they live, is painfully familiar to anyone who has studied the decline of American culture. I'd call it the world's culture in the West, anyway, for sure. A citizenry that does not think for themselves, obeys without question, is submissive, does not challenge authority, doesn't think outside the box, and is content to sit back and be entertained as a citizenry that can be easily controlled. In this way, the subtle message of the Lib provides an apt analogy of her own distorted vision of life in the American police state. What philosopher Slavoj Zizek refers to as dictatorship and democracy, the invisible order which sustains your apparent freedom. We're being fed a series of carefully contrived fictions that bear no resemblance to reality. 
The powers that be want us to feel threatened by forces beyond our control, such as terrorists and shooters and bombers. They want us to be afraid and dependent on the government and its militarized armies for safety and well-being. They want us distrustful of each other, divided by our prejudices and at each other's throats. Most of all, they want us to continue to march in lockstep with their dictates. Turn out the government's attempts to distract, divert and befuddle us and tune into what's really going on in this country and you'll run headlong into an unmistakable, unpalatable truth. The money to lead to rulers view us as ex- expendable resources to be used, abused and discarded. In fact, a 2014 study conducted by Princeton and Northwestern University concluded that the U.S. government does not represent the majority of American citizens. Instead, a study found that the government is ruled by the rich and powerful. I mean, is that really such a surprise? It's always been that way, folks, in all countries. It's ruled by the economic elite. Moreover, this researchers conclude that policies enacted by this governmental elite nearly always favor special interests and lobbying groups. And they, and they create them too, including the NGOs and finance them. <clears throat> In other words, we're being ruled by an oligarchy disguised as a democracy and arguably on our way towards fascism. This is not what you call it, fascism, socialism. Uh, collectivism. It's all for you, but not for the ones above them. They're going to live better than you are, including all of academia that helps to radicalize the students. A form of government where private corporate interests rule, money causes shots, and people are seen as mere subjects to be controlled. Consider this, it is estimated that the 2016 presidential election could cost as much as $5 billion, more than double what was spent getting Obama re-elected in 2012. So just to run for it, Remember all these farcical old, old movies about Lincoln and so on, talking to the little boy at the end of the movie. The little boy comes up and he's a little scruffy and he's dirty and so on. And he says, could he be president? And Lincoln says, yeah, anybody in America can be president, son. What a joke. Everything's mythology. Anyway, it says, not only do you have to be rich or beholden to the rich, that's more like it, to get elected these days, but getting elected is also a surefire way to get rich. As CBS News reports, once in office, members of Congress enjoy access to connections and information they can use to increase their wealth in ways that are unparalleled in the private sector. And once politicians leave office, their connections allow them to profit even further. In denouncing this blatant corruption of America's political system, former President Jimmy Carter blasted the process of getting elected to the White House. Governor's mansion, Congress or state legislators as unlimited political bribery. Oh, he's just noticed, eh? A subversion of our political system is a payoff to major contributors who want and expect and sometimes get favours for themselves after the election is over. You know, they get a lot of favours for themselves while, it's, while they're in office and so on. And, and, and they promise, I'm sure they put all in writing too in some secret organisations. To make sure that's all they can, they can, they can definitely get what they signed on to. But you can't take money from a big international corporate or any group for that matter. When there are groups or groups, and you can't take money from them and pretend that that uh, you won't rule. Once in office, you, you might rule uh, something against them in some future thing that might come up. You'll never do that. It never happens. You, you're paid off. Says, rest assured that when and if fascism finally takes hold in America, the basic forms of government will remain. As I point out in my book, Battlefield America, the war on the American people, fascism will appear to be friendly. 
The legislators will be in session, there will be elections, and the news media will continue to cover the entertainment and political trivia. Consent of the government, however, will no longer apply. Actual control will have finally passed to the oligarchic elites controlling the government behind the scenes. Well, it already has. It's been that way for an awful, awful, awful long time before I was born. And that's just the way it is, isn't it? Now, to get on back into how the media uh, and, and, uh, is part of an intelligence and even weaponized system, as I've mentioned so many times over the years, News is collaborative intelligence, correcting the myths about news in the digital age. And it says the shift to online news is increasing engagement, adding more perspectives and introducing more witnesses and a wider spectrum of voices to the media industry. Consumers are even proving receptive to long-form journalism in a digital native format, embracing print on the small screens of tablets and smartphones. But these clear signs of progress are met with other sobering signs of decline. From 2005 to 13, the overall revenue of American newspapers, the primary outlets that cover local civic affairs, fell by 30%, and advertising revenue by 52%. The promise of the democratization effect of the internet has proved elusive. Additionally, large media companies have been supplanted by even larger technology companies. You know, not as cheap as the guys who give you all the toys to play with to brainwash you. They, they plan all, long before they give you computers, for instance, they're all planned how they're going to run it. In a newspaper from Tom uh, uh, Rosenstyle, uh, the paradoxical state of news in the digital age is weighed not in a manner of whether we're better off or worse, but instead in better understanding what is better, what are we losing, and what can we do about it. Technology has created the potential for a new kind of journalism, one that is richer, more compelling, and more accurate than what was possible before. R- Rosenstyle finds that the real crisis of American journalism is local, where the decline is most severe, and where robust journalism is most needed. And then they give you a bunch of things that they actually need to do and so on. But that's about a tame article, actually. And this article here is, again, about writing and various techniques that you take for granted and you think it's all to do with informing you. I mean, think about the word even inform. Think about that. Think about that, eh? And this is, I've told you before that universities today are, I mean, they're awfully, awfully important for indoctrination of a radicalization of people who go through their entire lives. They've been activists for what they're brainwashed in them to be activists, you see. If they'd gone to, uh, if the, the elite wanted it, they would have made sure that they would be pushing for something else than the one they've been brainwashed to, to push right now, you see. That's how you change society. Always for the benefit of those at the top and more government agencies to run everything and, and, and over our lives and so on. That's how you do it all. It's not by chance. Everything today needs uh, funding, massive funding, including all the NGOs, as they call themselves. But this is article, it's about Mary Flanagan. That's her, that's her. she has a podcast and so on. It tells you all about her at the top of this article. Remember all these articles I put up at the end of the night too. You can look up the links. And read them for yourselves. But it says, the question that motivates Mary is, how do we move people to be an effective force for change, for their own welfare? I love these people who know what's best for us, you know, and the welfare of others. She begins by noting that there's a huge push towards gamification. 
so much that I don't want to say the G word. We're going to be healthier, better people. Mary likes to break down uh, this down, but will it really make us better? How do we move people to make changes for themselves in a non-coercive way? This ties in with last week's, what I was mentioned about nudging, how they nudge you to do things without you even being aware of it most of the time. You think it's you make your own decisions to look at this or change that. No, you get nudged to do it, you see. Anyway, Mary here, it says she'll tell us three quick stories to highlight the unanticipated processes and consequences underlying games. And I've mentioned before, your departments of culture always fund novels for children, movies and cartoons for children to make sure that they're embedded with all the right ideas to brainwash early the youngsters as they grow up, you see. And it says, and it gives you one story, such as Aaron's story, the uh, boy technology person. May does not, does play tests every week. They ran across a boy, a young boy, she's calling him Aaron. He's on the autistic spectrum. He would sit silently until a game was present. He could engage with others through a game and came week after week to play. He started to change. He began to interact with other children through play. This story points to the transformative power of play and how games serve as a framework for broader personal development. Games were transformative for Mary personally. In the Midwest, she says people play cars and games as a framework for social interaction. We know this online, but it functions historically as well. Games are older than written language. We don't know how old they are, but we have evidence from 5870 BC of a Neolithic game board from in Gazal. Uh, it says, she also shows us a chessboard from 1100 AD. Games exist throughout history. We always hope that technology can make things better. I wonder how people phrase things. It's wonderful. But she's talking about technology. It's just for another way of indoctrination to create a, a particular, cult, particular culture. Some are critical. New tech uh, can have up-intended consequences. And it's amazing how little we study this. She shows a game called Pox from 2010 that was meant to encourage people to get vaccinated through games, you see. They produced a game and started studying outcomes. In the game, you learn that vaccination is a smart thing to do compared to using public health to cure people. What's interesting is what people did and said while they played. They're producing a paper about this that's coming out soon. They made a digital version of Pox. They made a zombie version. See, they've used all the little techniques that are popular through the memes and so on. May has an alternate life as a game publisher, which is kind of weird, although not as weird as people saying, I'm an academic at game conferences. And it says... Um, Players played 10 to 20% faster on the iPod and agreed more. So the evidence was so minutely studied, aren't we? To see how it works for indoctrination purposes. Uh, so, and agreed more. On the analog versions, players won 5 out of 6 games. In the digital, they lost 5 out of 6. So they play faster, talk more, and make bad decisions. So this challenges our perceptions of digitization. Like they didn't know what digitization is going to do to you before they gave it to you folks. I'm t- nothing comes out that's not studied oh, for donkey's years. A donkey lives an awful long time, you know. And a donkey years exceptionally long. Everything minutely is broken apart and analyzed for effects on the public. And when they mandate for like digitalizing the television and all the rest of it, they, it was, a law was passed to make sure that the, the, the companies that produced all the broadcasting had to comply. 
What was awfully important about that, folks? Hmm, well... Anyway, it says they looked at systems, thinking measures, and the results were slightly different. The zombie pox version performed better, which was a surprise. They didn't start out to say zombie pox will be more convincing. People learn better from the undead, it says. That raised the question, what if all the textbooks are fiction? Next, Mary has us play a game, name a person, a living or dead, who meets the following criterion. Then shows various prompts on slides, for example, female scientist, multiracial superhero, and so on. All the embedded little quips, etc. And it says the point of the game is to talk about how games can lead to strange, yet evocative conversations about race, gender, etc. As players negotiate what counts as a winning category. It's also about highlighting inequality in STEM, STEM. We like a collective consciousness about women in science at a deep level, unpacking the prior issues that people have biases and stereotypes that are difficult to surpass. They created a game called Buffalo. They drew from psychology to look at discrimination levels. Psychologists have standardized studies that look at how people discriminate against one another. Turns out that as we discriminate more, we collapse categories. For example, if I tell TL, I'm an artist, we have a mental image, I wear a beret, all black have salons, etc. It says, these are old tropes, but we still carry them with us. Your first thought wouldn't be tennis player or sci-fi fan. Collapsing categories into one dominant way of thinking can be challenged. We can expand the categories and make them more complex. So you can't even play games. There's nothing you out there that's put out for you. With all the big corporations that produce all these things, there's nothing put out there that's not meant to change you folks and what you're thinking without even you even understanding it's happening to you or why. Really, it's just astonishing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Really, you know, think about it. This article is something I should have touched on along with the Pope there because it's to do with this new... Uh, Again, day you only have shortly to celebrate, as they say, and to be prompted to think about certain things that your your masters want you to think about. It says, God help us, Pope declares September the 1st to be annual global warming prayer day. As Pope Francis decided to set up a world day of prayer for the care of creation, which will be celebrated on September the 1st annually. He made the announcement in a letter to the heads of the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace and Pontifical Council for the Promotion of Christian Unity. While the words global warming and climate change aren't specifically mentioned in the text, the purpose seems clear in the context of his recent encyclical when they say, and this is important because you understand when you get different organizations that you think really even be opposed to each other, um, using the same terminology, uh, the little cues that they give you, uh, it's because it's arranged by them all together. There's a reason, reason for that. So it says, the future of creation, something that Dr. James Hansen, remember the radical NASA scientist that it's all, he's all pushing international equality for everybody by, you know, making us all standardly poor, except for, of course, for the academia and guys up near there. Anyway, it says Dr. James Hansen has touched on the 2009 presentation. This is what he used, climate change, a threat to creation, implications for intergenerational equity and justice. 
and also in 2007 with this, this money put out, an opportunity to lead the nation in a stewardship of the earth and creation. Isn't that just a bit too close to what the Pope just said there? Since the language here seems very similar, and the mention of the encyclical letter, Laudato C. 79, removes any doubt. Uh, and it says, um, and it actually tells you what it says in that particular one. And I'll put that up tonight too. It tells you what the Pope actually has in it. Uh, to my venerable brothers, etc. Cardinal Peter Codwo Apaya, Turkson, President of the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace. And Cardinal Kurt Koch, President of the Pontifical Council for Promotion of Christian Unity. So you'll see the terminology used in that, that, that Hansen is using as well. And also mentioned too another article that ties back in with it $10.2 billion, United Nations Climate Fund to set back first project in 2016. This is United Nations Climate Fund is ready to support its first project in 2016 after successfully signing the nation's agreements with 28 countries and selecting implementing entities, CEO's finance ministry said Wednesday. Launched in late 2010, the Green Climate Fund <laughs> aims to channel money from industrialized nations to developing countries to help them tackle climate change-related problems. It's based in Songdo, west of Seoul. According to the ministry, the, the GCF, which operates within the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, <laughs> has secured $5.8 billion U.S. in pledges as of July, with an additional $4.4 billion worth of donations to be secured by the end of the year. Seoul has already placed its $100 million share to fund to the funders. Maybe that's the soul that the Pope is referring to, eh? It's not the spiritual Maybe it's this is the soul he's talking about. Anyway, which will be used to finance GCF projects, it said. The fund has also certified 20 implementing entities from both emerging and industrialized economies, as well as UN organizations like the United Nations Environment Program and the United Nations Development Development Program, the ministry said, adding the Export-Import Bank of Korea and the state-run Korea Development Bank are waiting to become implementing entities. Under the fund's operating protocol, all projects will be selected by implementing entities and managed by them, a ministry official said. So he said, already got global taxation on the go, folks. Actually, even having the United Nations and, and keeping them in money to the first place for all these years was tax. It's all coming from you. And it's a non-democratic organization set up with private, a private group, uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, you see. Uh, now to get back to, <laughs> it's back and forth today, isn't it? To get back to how they radicalize people, etc., and students and so on. And it says, Radicalization of Teacher Education Programs in the United States. And it's, uh, this is quite a good article. It's by the Lexington Institute, it says. These nine essays chronicle prominent examples where the advancement of radical agendas has displaced the development of subject content mastery in America's schools of education. Institutional uh, racism, Redistributionist ideology, resisting oppression, and equipping teachers with the tools to transform their students' perspectives. You know, change agents, you see. 
And that's what I always do is change what you, you, you're not, you would normally come to by your own normal brain. They change it until they just change your perspectives and everything. Each of these factors heavily or factor heavily into the entrenched indoctrination to which many education school candidates must prepare to expose themselves. Reading lists of prospective teachers are top-heavy with near-cult figures for the left, such as Brazilian Marxist Paulo Freire and revisionist historian Howard Zinn. The examples described in this paper are steeped in these and other agendas. Proponents of these agendas are not difficult to find within education school communities. And at national and regional conferences held by their organizations, like the Institute for Research on Race and Public Policy, and the National Association for Multicultural Education, called NAME, workshop titles and painted banners proclaim their intentions in bold strokes. Many who attend these conferences do so using taxpayer funding, and are able to satisfy professional development requirements towards becoming highly qualified teachers. They're just change agents for for their masters at the top. I I call them intellectual prostitutes. That's, That's what they are. These conferences are co-sponsored by entities that receive funding presumed to ensure that the nation's elementary and secondary educators are equipped with the knowledge of their craft and the content they will be teaching. For instance, the 2011 NAME National Conference was co-sponsored by the National Education Association, the nation's largest teacher union, Northern Illinois University and the University of Michigan. In that conference, keynote address uh, radical educator William Ayers, remember Bill Ayers, challenged his audience. How do we resist the oppression we find all around us? He led the crowd in applauding the Occupy movement protesters who had shut down the port of Oakland days earlier, and he bemoaned the triumph of corporate power. Named President Christine Sleater followed also expressing solidarity with the Occupy movement and its linking capitalism with international racism globally. She asked, how do we name the organization, build a more powerful social movement? Their audience, which included educators and administrators from public school districts and some two dozen public universities enrolled in a conference, applauded with enthusiasm. Over a week in downtown Chicago, they attended workshops, film screenings, and lectures. And despite enjoying, enjoying, uh, despite enjoying this session with help from taxpayer funding, while satisfying teacher training requirements, there was no evidence to be found that the proceedings would inform their own knowledge of history, mathematics, or the teaching of reading. It's true. It's nothing to do. This is, you understand, education today is total indoctrination into producing the kind of citizen they want to radicalize as well at the university level. That's where they radicalize them. Uh, the, the perfect citizen who will obey and governments, no matter what, what kind of government it, it pretends to be. And there'll be radical ones coming out of universities who have this stuck in their heads their whole life long. They'll be always pushing these agendas, you see. It's almost like you, you get stunted growth intellectually. You don't you don't figure things out on your own and come to your own conclusions and opinions. You're not allowed that actually. They stunt your growth, your intellectual growth. This collection of essays addresses nine representative examples of radical agendas found in teacher preparation programs in the U.S. Well, it's all everywhere else across the world too. 
because the UN's up there at the top, pushing all these things out to all the unions. Some discuss authors, most notably Paulo Freire and Howard Zinn, etc. Others discuss more recent trends, such as the increasing pressures to radicalize, radicalize early childhood education by introducing the teaching of social justice, gender identity, and unlearning racism to three- and four-year-olds. Still others among the topics discussed here, such as critical race theory, transformative learning, and social justice education, have gained popularity on higher education campuses over the past 30 years, while K-12 teacher candidates continue to be exposed to indoctrination campaigns as part of their uh, pre-service training. It's an unfortunate but well-documented reality that this training too often includes only minimal formal instruction on the subject areas for which aspiring teachers will be responsible once they take charge of classrooms of their own. Lacking in basic knowledge they could have gained studying the subjects, they will teach leaves many uh, teaching candidates under-equipped to address the well-documented worrisome decline in student levels of skills and knowledge in American public schools. Now, tonight, too, uh, I'll put up all the links, etc., to the PDFs about these subjects. I've got a whole bunch of them there. And um, one is News as a Collaborative Intelligence. I've mentioned that from Brookings. Uh, Nudging, again, I mentioned that last week, Consumers and Producers. Uh, New Media and Social Change, PDF. Another one is A Crisis of Competence. Radicalization of teacher education programs and towards transformative media uh, from MIT, which has also uh, got its own agenda too. And uh, this is what comes out. You know, this is, these are people who are there to supposed to learn to give them a, a good career. The careers going to come out and are going to be radical uh, politicians or they're going to governments in some department or whatever. You see. And, to, and, and lots of them go into all the different government, all, governmental agencies, all the, way, all the way down to social worker, to transform communities. It's just astonishing how it's all done and pre-planned, etc. And, and the, 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 the folk who are going to get indoctrinated have to pay for this, what they call education. What idiots. Oh, my God, eh? Isn't that something? And meanwhile, you're turning out people who are, who are technically morons in, in, in every other way. Absolutely amazing. But they'll tell you all about, you know, the gender identity and things like that and all this kind of stuff. And how we're going to standardize the world and flatten everybody's income across the planet, except for themselves if they're working for government by that time. Uh, they'll have a, a special exemption along with all the other helpers that indoctrinate us. So it's just astonishing what we really have going on and everybody's quiet about it. Everyone's quiet about it. No one wants to talk about what really is. It's astonishing to me. It really truly is. And that's the effects of indoctrination. They don't want to talk about it or because they're Pavlovian responses about topics, they're not, they go back to their default position that the, the nudge experts talk about that they set in you until they can't talk about it. Even if they wanted to. So, <laughs> and people keep prattling about freedom And even that's mucked up, messed up By all these, these people who are radicalization Are radicalizing everything too it's, What they talk about is freedom How can it be freedom when there's no choices anymore? There's no choices 
People are not allowed anymore to agree to disagree. It's not allowed, you see. Oh no, you must come to this one conclusion and, and, and par it after me. That's, that's it, folks. You can't have any other points of view. And this, this is the new norm they're pushing. The standardization of our brains to perceive things through the same education as this, in the same way, with the same conclusions. It's just astonishing. The problem is, too, is this too easy? By those who've been studying us for thousands of years, literally. If you, if you look into any old ancient book, you'll find all, even religion, is about the study of humans, the nature of humans, the different natures of humans, and so on. And then advisors all through the Middle Ages to kings and queens and the governments and so on. Uh, these guys were the, the change agents of their day. They knew how to manipulate the public so easily to be for or against anything they were told to be for or against. It's more perfected today. And we're all managed so well, aren't we? We're dissected individually with vast amounts of information gathering from early childhood, right through schooling, right through work, health records, everything, uh, what you like to look at on the internet, what you do, blah, 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 personality profiling, that got us all completely, minutely categorized. And people still prattle on about how free we are. Oh, yay. And they never learn, they keep voting. I've said so many times, if voting worked, it would be made illegal be banned. Or as George Carlin said, you're given the illusion of choice, this party or that party, or him or her, or whatever it happens to be. It's all a big joke. But the people keep falling into it because they've been trained to fall into it. As soon as the, the flags start waiting, the, the buttons come out and the, the silly little... It's, it's more of a circus in the States, absolutely... And they show it as a circus, basically, with their top hats and all the stars and stripes everywhere and balloons and confetti, etc. Uh, they go right back into their program mode and vote. It's astonishing. They do get a show, mind you, where they'll give someone being awfully controversial and then the media will bang them and bang them and gets all the people at the bottom talking about it again. The whole point is to make it you think it's all real again, you see. Have you ever seen any party come into power and chuck out and throw out all the treaties and that that were all detrimental to the country and the people that the last party put in? Of course not, folks. It's never going to happen. There's no difference between one or the other of parties. It's all pretense. And showbiz. Showbiz. Sad, isn't it? But that's the truth, folks. That is the truth. Now, folk think that with the internet, they've got far more choice and freedom. But they don't really. It appears that way. But you've got to understand, there are many players who are from the top agencies and working for top agencies that, that manage content on the internet. And play the game, again, of intelligence and counterintelligence agents. Because a lot of them are. 
Nothing was overlooked when they gave the people the internet. Nothing ever was overlooked. Oh my God, it might run away with them itself and, and the public might start thinking for themselves individually. Oh, God help us. No, you must always be collective and join groups, you see. That's why so many sites out there want you to join them. Group for this, group for that. And even for all of what you think are fiction or, or non-fiction, folk think Bigfoot's real and all that. And that's been encouraged as well by big players at the top for part of the agenda. Because folk are getting bombarded with so much nonsense, now they can't tell fact from fiction. Uh, that's a great way of disabling the mind. It, it truly is. When you start introducing what's called magical thinking into the everyday life of, in, everyday, of individuals, then... You can't have critical analysis on anything. You're being used for someone else's purpose and never for your own benefit. So you have to be careful what you even enjoy, you see. Every, every youngster loves ghost stories. We've all gone through it. It's, oh, it's wow, fascinating, you see. But when you end up going through your whole adulthood looking for the next thrill from beyond, uh, because you want to believe it, uh, then there's a problem there. There's a problem. Critical thinking is a defense mechanism for pure survival. Pure survival of the individual and the species. So be careful what you bring into your brain. I've said so many times that, that the mind has no firewall. Your brain has got no firewall. So you have, it definitely doesn't have it when you think you're being entertained watching movies and so on. That's why it's so easy to indoctrinate through the motive content, the visualization of scenes and so on, of what they want you to see is, here's the good people, here's the bad people. Because your guard is down. You don't think you're be, you, you should even go into any talk or lecture in school with your own firewall up. And say, yeah, I agree with that. No, I disagree with that, etc. You see. But when you're being entertained, you drop it. And there's techniques to make you drop it too. What comes before the main hook that they want you to, to, be, to be embedded in you, that you take away with you, and, st- and it stays in you forever, uh, before it happens, they'll give you something to make you really like the character who's going to say the more radical thing you see. Or they'll divert you off into a sex scene or something like that. It's all very cleverly uh, thought out. Nothing in a movie uh, is just happenstance and filler. Uh, they really, every scene, every little vase with one single flower in it in a room is, is discussed with panels. Nothing is by chance. Everything's got a purpose. So again, getting back to what I said at the beginning, folks, you can buy the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com to help me tick along here, hopefully. And how to order them is on the website, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, the order form, with the address where you send mail, if you want to do writ mail, or send checks or postal orders or, or whatever else you want to send, um, or even cash. And, uh, and, how to, and the PayPal links are on it and so on as well. That's how things are, folks. I'm trying to get you to reclaim your brain. <laughs> from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.